I had the same jersey as everybody else. We practiced at the same time in the same place, but I didn't feel like I was a part of that team. Any of you guys have ever felt that experience before? Maybe it was sports, maybe it was something else where you felt like, I'm here, they say I belong, but it doesn't feel like I'm one of them. I don't get the jokes, nobody passes to me, I'm just sort of an odd person who's warming a bench here. And the reason I tell you that story and bring that up is because I know that there are people who are Christians, who are believers, even people who are in this church who feel the same way about their faith, who feel like, yeah, I do believe in Jesus. Yes, I do have the same Bible as you. Maybe I sit in the same pew as you, but I don't know, pew, sit in the same row of chairs as you. Um, But I don't know that I feel like I belong. I don't really know if I fit in here. You ever feel like that? Like, Everybody else seems like they're really good Christians or good believers. They know, what, they know what's going on. Um, it's like, and I hope <laughs> anyone, everyone has ever experienced being in a more, let's say, uh, like liturgical church service, like a Catholic or a um, Lutheran or something like that, where there is this order of events where people are standing and then sitting and then kneeling. And if you're new to that, you don't know what's happening. And you're like, I'm not sure what's, what are we doing next? And sometimes we feel like that, like, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to behave. Um, I'm not sure if I belong. So I want to talk to you this morning about the faith of Rahab. Uh, and Rahab is a story in the Bible that um, it's a shorter story. Um, it's maybe a, a less, uh, you know, maybe a less well-known story. I don't know how well, well you know that story. But I think it's a really good story. It's a really relatable story for us because it talks about somebody who really didn't belong, but God did an amazing work. It's a story about rescue from somebody who was going to die and was saved. But it's also a story about somebody coming to be a part of a family and to belonging. And um, the thing I love about the story of Rahab, that as I looked at it and I've read it and I've prayed about it, the thing that stood out to me is it teaches us an important lesson about faith, about people who have faith. And the lesson I would give you is this. That people of faith are not defined by their past. People of faith are not defined by their past failures. So whatever happened in your life before you came to be a believer, before you came to put your faith in Christ, does not dictate who you are now that you are a believer. It doesn't limit it. So let's talk about the story of Rahab and see what we can learn. Rahab's story begins with Joshua. And just a real quick, real quick recap, um, so we're all on the same page. Uh, so God called the Israelite people to be his holy people, his special people on earth. He sent Moses to rescue them out of Egypt from the hand of Pharaoh, the ten plagues. Moses led them through the wilderness to the promised land that God, the special place that God had prepared for his people. Uh, And then Moses leads them all the way to the edge of the promised land. And then Moses dies of old age, and he turns things over to Joshua. Joshua is the new leader, ready to lead God's people into their promised land. And that's kind of where the story picks up. So the first thing Joshua does, getting to the promised land, is he says, we're going to take the city of Jericho, the big fortified city at the edge of the promised land. That's going to be our first military excursion. We're going to take Jericho. And so his first move is he sends two spies into Jericho to check it out. See where the wall is strong, where the wall is weak, where the guards are, 
what's the best way for us to take this city? Sends two spies in, okay? And as the spies are scouting the city, uh, they run into a little bit of trouble, and they're from the guards, so they need to hide. So they go into the house of a prostitute named Rahab, because they figure that is a kind of a shady place. They can probably fit in there. So they go to this place, and then it tells us in, um, I'm, by the way, I'm in, um, if you want to follow along, I'm in Joshua chapter 2. I'm just going to be sort of summarizing it, skimming along, but if you want to follow along, it's in Joshua chapter 2. Um, so the king of Jericho hears that there were spies at Rahab's house. So he sends his guards to Rahab's house. Go get those men that are hiding there. And you know what Rahab did? She hid the spies, that tells us there in verse 6. She brought them up on their roof, and she hid them under stalks of flax up on the roof so the guards wouldn't see them. And then when the guards showed up, and they're like, hey, where are the guys that were in your house? She lies to the king's guards. And she says in uh, verses 4 and 5, she says, yes, it's true. There were some men here, but I don't know where they came from. And then when they heard the gate was closing, they left, and I don't know where they went. Both of those are lies, because she knew where they were from, and she knew where they were they were hiding. And then she says, I look, this is funny, she says, I don't know where they went, but maybe if you hurry, you can catch them. And she sends them on a wild goose chase. And uh, so they run out the gate to try to find the men who are actually hiding on her roof at the moment. Um, so then she gets them down off the roof, and Rahab helps Joshua's spies escape. So you have to kind of visualize for, with me for a second. Jericho is a walled city with a thick wall around the outside. And Rahab's house just happens to be on the outside wall. So like here's our here's a wall right here. And her house is right here. And she has a window that's outside the wall. So she uses a rope to lower the spies out the window outside the wall. So they don't have to go through the gate and risk being found. They run out the wall and up into the mountains and out to safety. So she hid them. She lied to the guards, and she helped them escape. But um, you kind of got to wonder why she did that. If these were people spying on her city so they could overthrow it, then why wouldn't she turn those over to the guard? Why wouldn't she turn those spies over and help, try to help save her city, right? So before she lowers them down, she makes a desperate plea to the, to the, the spies. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. I know the Lord has already given you this city. Which is amazing that she had faith in God. She honestly had more faith in God than some of the Israelites did. And she said, I, we heard what happened when God brought you out of Egypt. We heard about God protecting you in the desert. We heard about you and the other people that tried to attack you and God preserved you. And we know that your Lord the Lord, your God, he is the God in the heavens above and on the earth below. So she recognized that the God that the Israelites serve is the one true God, the God over everything. And in so, maybe she didn't know what she was saying and what she was doing, but she put her faith in God. She knew her people were marked for destruction. She knew the Israelites were coming and God was on their side. Chances of survival were slim. So she made this bold request. She said, um, have mercy on my family. She said, please swear to me, because I've been kind to you, that you will be kind to me, and that you will save me, and you will save my mother and my father and my brothers and sisters, because I've been kind to you. The spies, they agreed to this request, probably because she saved their lives, <laughs> and 
But they gave her these instructions. They said, okay, because you have, you have um, stuck your neck out to save us, we will make sure you survive. But here are the, here's the deal. You have to bring everybody in your family into your house. Your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters, your pets, everybody into your house. And anyone who leaves your house, that's fair game. They can get killed and that's, all, that's, that's on their hands. But anyone that's in your house, we promise you, will be saved. And here's how we'll know is leave the rope that we escape out this window. Leave that hanging out the window. And we'll know that's the house not to attack. And anyone inside of there will be safe. That was sort of the deal. So in, uh, in Joshua 6, a few chapters later, we read that they, the Israelites do march on Jericho. The, they do attack at the city falls. And they save Rahab's family because they were all in that house. So her act of faith in God saved her family, her mother, her father, her brothers and sisters, and their pets. They were all safe in that house. And I think the lesson that we learned there is that God honors faith and obedience over a person's past or their appearance. God honors your faith more than your past or your appearance. So you might think, yeah, but you know, a few years ago I did this. I got in trouble with the law, or you know, I I broke this this rule, you know, and so God can't doesn't honor what I do. God doesn't view me as a real part of this family. But I'm telling you, God honors your steps of faith and obedience more than whatever might be in your past or whatever your appearance might look like today. God, here's the thing. God told Joshua to go march and destroy Jericho because they were wicked people. They were not Israelites. They were Canaanites. So if God told Joshua, destroy the sinful people who are Canaanites, then why is Rahab saved? Because she is definitely a Canaanite and she's definitely a wicked person. She's a prostitute. She's part of the problem. So why does God decide to save her? It's because of her faith and her obedience. She heard about the mightiness of God and she feared him. And she made a decision to help the Israelites. And when she made that decision, she switched her allegiance from Jericho to God. She said, I trust in God more than I trust in my own strength or the strength of my city or the strength of my king. I trust in this God who is mighty. And that's what we need to do. Is we need to switch our allegiance, switch our commitment from our own strength or the strength of our family, or the strength of our background. And our strength needs to be in God. Because she, I mean, she did have some power. She could have killed the spies. She could have turned over the spies. She could have said, hey, I think they're coming to attack. Let's do our best to protect ourselves. But she didn't do that. She put her faith 100% in God. And that was what saved her. And that's the kind of faith that God honors. God is more interested in what's in your heart than whatever is in your path. He's more interested in what your, if your heart is torn, turned towards him than it is what you may have done. He's more interested in that than in your family background. Some of us might look at our family background, our parents or other you know, older brothers and sisters or other people in our family and think, you know what? God probably looks down on my family. God probably looks down on me because of the family I come from. And that I'm here to tell you that it's not the truth. I'm here to tell you that if your faith is in Christ, then you are wholly accepted. 
He has wholly accepted you into his family, regardless of what your family background might be. See, we as humans, let's be honest, we tend to judge people based on what we can see, right? We judge based on appearance, what we know and what we see. But the Bible tells us that God looks at people's hearts. He doesn't judge on the outside, but he judges the hearts of people. So I just want to be clear about something is that I said that God honors faith and obedience, and that's true. However, we need to clarify that faith and obedience is not what saved Rahab, and faith and obedience is not what saves any of us. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that saves each and every single one of us. We put our faith in what he has done, but he alone saves us. Okay, so we can be as obedient as we want, but it doesn't mean anything unless he does something. And it's because of the blood of Jesus that we are saved. So I want to show you something really, really cool that I noticed in the story of Rahab. Um, they talked about how she had a, a house that was on the wall, and her window faced the, the outside wall, and she lowered the spies out with a rope. You guys remember that? Uh, well, it just so happened that um, I got a piece of Rahab's rope here. Yeah. So it was a, red, a long red rope, like, kind of like this, and she used it to lower the spies out that window. And then she left the red rope hanging out that window so that they would know this is the, the house to leave standing. The, um, this is what's really cool, is that the, the Hebrew word for rope is tikva. And I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I might be mispronouncing that. But um, my little pronunciation guy here says tikva. You want to say tikva? Um, <clears throat> I almost made you repeat it because it wasn't loud enough. Maybe I've been at camp too long. But anyways, um, so tikva is just a word. It means rope. It's a pretty generic word. But here's what I found that was really, really cool, is that the Hebrew people use the word tikva figuratively to mean hope. It mean, they use the word figuratively like hope. Just like we use the word anchor, literally is like an anchor is a thing that holds a boat down. But we use the word anchor also figuratively, like something that anchors in your life. So for them, hope is something that you can hold on to. Hope is something that can lower you down, that can rescue you. Hope is something that can lift you up. Now, I think it's an incredible coincidence that it was a red rope that she had lying around handy to lower them. And I wonder if God orchestrated that to show us something super important. Any guesses on why it might have been a red rope? What does that signify? It signifies the blood of Jesus. Because that was Rahab's hope, and that was Israel's hope, and that is our hope, is the blood of Jesus. That is our tikva. That's the rope that saves us. Have you ever thought, and this is, you don't have to raise your hands for this, but have you ever thought, you've been aware of your shortcomings, and your sinfulness, and your weakness, and thought, I can't wait for someday when I learn how to be godly and I learn how to be a good Christian and then I'm going to be really close with God. Maybe he'll speak and I'll hear his voice or maybe I'll pray and he'll answer my prayers. Someday, someday I'm going to be a good enough of a Christian that I'm going to be close with God. Now you don't have to raise your hands, but I'll raise mine. I've been there. And I knew in my mind that it wasn't true, but in my heart I was hoping that someday I would be good enough that I could be close to God. And that's just not true. It's just not the way it works. 
It says that the Bible tells us, Paul wrote this, that you are saved by faith through grace alone and not by your works that anyone could boast. It's by the grace of God alone that we are saved, that we are brought into the family of God. <clears throat> we can never earn a right relationship with God. Our only hope for salvation is faith in Jesus. So my encouragement to you this morning is don't worry about what people think about you. Worry about obeying God. Don't worry if other people think you're good enough or if other people think you belong or anything else. Worry about obeying God, about putting your faith in him and doing what he's asked you to do. Whether or not other people think that's the right thing to do or not. So here's what's really cool about Rahab's faith. This is where I love the story. Is that like her faith in God saved her life and it saved her family's life, right? But Rahab's faith changed her story. It absolutely changed her story. Because if she hadn't put her faith in God, then she would have been a Canaanite prostitute who died as a punishment. That would have been her story. But that's not her story. Her story was changed by the faith in God. And what I'm getting at is our stories are changed when we let God's faith work in our lives. So I'm going to show you a couple of verses really quickly. A couple other places in the Bible where Rahab's name appears. So one of those is in Hebrews 11.31. And Hebrews 11 is this chapter of all these men and women of faith that are heroes of faith that the people of Israel can look up to and say, these are the leaders and the heroes and the stars of the Israelite faith. And Rahab's name is in that list, which almost doesn't even make sense because she's not an Israelite and she's a prostitute. But you can see it says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she gave a friendly welcome to the the spies. God honored her obedience, and she's in that book of heroes of faith. Um, Another place is in James chapter 2, where it says, um, he's talking about faith there, and he says, in the same way, Rahab the prostitute was justified by her works. So she was justified or recognized as as holy because of the things that she did. Here, her story is used as an illustration for teaching of faith. And it says that, you know, she was justified. So although she was a, a sinner, she was a prostitute, the moment she decided to trust in God, her story changed and she became a, a teaching example of good faith, of what it should look like. And it teaches us that your faith is not limited by your background. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. The things that are in your past, what you were like before you came to Christ, maybe what you were like before be, this morning, before you put your faith in Christ, like those things don't limit what God can do through you. They don't limit how God can use you. They don't limit how accepted you are by God. Whatever, um, how many of you guys have ever been on a cruise? I got an opportunity to go on a cruise once um, with, uh, when was the, for our honeymoon. My wife and I got to go on a cruise for five days. And it, was, it was pretty awesome. Hopefully someday we'll get to go again. Um, but one of the best things about being on a cruise is all of the food is free. Um, and like, in, I guess it depends on what you pay for, but like all of the food is free and there's all these like restaurants and shops and stuff like that where you can just walk in and they give you food and drinks and stuff like that. And it's pretty amazing. Um, but here's what's really, really cool. I thought, about that, I thought about it. It's like you almost feel like you're a celebrity or royalty or something like that, that you can just walk in and pick something and they give it to you. You don't have to pay for it or ask how much it costs. When you sit down for dinner, you just 
say, bring me more, and they just keep bringing you whatever you want. You could bring you a dessert, and you could be like, nah, I don't like it. Bring me something else, and they'll just keep bringing you food. And what's really cool is that like, there could be like, you know, millionaires on that cruise, and there could be people who have saved for years to get on that cruise. It could be somebody who doesn't have any money and someone else paid for them. It doesn't really matter how you got on the cruise. Once you're there, you're treated like royalty. Once you're there, everything is free. Everything is yours. And that's the same thing like being in the family of God. It doesn't matter how you got here. Once you're here, it's all yours. We're all on the same level. There's nobody who gets a little bit more from God, a little more privilege, a little more honor from God than another one. doesn't matter what, how you got here. You're here and you're part of this family. So there's one other place um, in the Bible where Rahab's name appears, and it's pretty cool. In, oh, let me see how. It's a subtle passing reference, but I think it might be the most important. It's in Matthew chapter 1. So there's a moment in history when God decided that he was going to send his son Jesus into the world to redeem the world. And he chose a very specific people. They were the Israelites. And he chose a very specific tribe of the Israelites. That's the tribe of Judah. And he chose a very specific family from that tribe. And that's the the family of David, the family of kings. And from this family of kings, from that tribe, from from that people, God chose to send his son to redeem the world. And so in the the very beginning of Matthew, we see a a genealogy. It lists all the names of all the people who are in that genealogy, who are in that family line. And you know whose name is in that list? Rahab's name is in that list. Rahab is in the line of our salvation. Isn't that amazing? She's a Canaanite prostitute, and yet she's in one of the most holy lines of human history. Talk about a change of story. Talk about a change of story. That just blows my mind when I see her name in there. Like, how did, God, how did you make that happen? And it should be an encouragement to you, whatever your background is, that God can use your life, and it could be one of the most significant moments in history. You might look at it and be like, well, I'm a sinner, or I'm not from the right family, or I, I you know what I mean? I, I just barely got in. But she didn't just barely got in, she became a part of the story. I believe that faith has changed my own story. Not only am I saved, but um, God has used me in a way that I never thought he would. My story is different. When I was younger, um, I was shy. I was awkward. I was probably kind of lazy. I was not not that smart, not that dedicated to things. I mean, your average young person. Um, No offense, young people. And I didn't see myself as like a man of God that God was going to use for, for mighty things. In fact, when I was around other people, like whether it was like doing stuff with church or on missions trips or things like that, I always felt like, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be on this team because these other people, clearly God has given them gifts and God has given them, um, you know, spiritual ability and, and these are good people. And I'm like, I'm not even sure if I fit in here. Um, I remember when I went to Bible school, I felt intimidated when I went to Bible school because some of my classmates were like, their grandfather, one girl, her grandfather was the president of the Bible school. The other one, there was like their parents were pastors or missionaries or, and they had like led these different, all these different things or, you know, were leading worship teams and preaching and stuff like that. I'm looking at all these other classmates of mine. I'm like, these are like some awesome spiritual leaders. They have great backgrounds and they know a lot. I'm like, I don't really know that I fit in here. I'm not as smart as them or as spiritual as them. Um, and it took me a while, but I learned None of that 
God takes none of that into account when he factors how much he loves me. I'm 100% belong in the family of God. I 100% am loved and accepted regardless of how smart I am or how spiritual I am or what my family background is like. I'm accepted. Paul wrote um, that uh, you who are once far off have been brought into the family. That's a verse I love to remember for myself. And I encourage you to take that for yourself. You who were far off, you were separated, have been brought into the family. You've been given a seat at the table as a part of the family. I remember um, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to go with Pastor Chris to China. Um, and he taught a class of uh, Old Testament survey in the uh, course of a week at a Bible school in, in China. And it was kind of intimidating, I'm going to be honest with you, to travel with Pastor Chris uh, as he is teaching through all of the, you know, the depths of the Old Testament. A very, very, very smart man, very well-studied man. And there was a couple of times when he asked me to share, like to share a little bit with the students who he was teaching. And I was like, I don't really know that I'm qualified to stand on you know, the same stage he is where he's talking about these different things about the books of the Bible. I mean, honestly, like, I'm supposed to be traveling with him, and I'm there taking notes, too. Like, oh, my goodness, I did not know that. Um, but then I realized, like, you know what? God brought me here for this moment, and I might not be as smart as somebody else. I might not be as well-studied as somebody else, but God put me here for this moment, and I can share what my faith is. I can share what's on my heart, and God can use that how he can use that. And I feel like he did on that trip when I was able to share a little bit of what I, what I had known and what I had, what I had felt with some other uh, Chinese believers. So you, you, that's what I'm, I just want to share that. So you never know. You might look at some other believers and think, well, I'm not as, as smart as them or as strong as them, but God can still use you. Sometimes I listen to Pastor Chris preach, and I think, Man, I don't know if I can preach like that. Um, sometimes I, listen to, I watch um, Tom Weber, the way he like, loves people and cares for people. And I think, I wish I could love people like that. I wish I could give myself like that. I, I listen to Kathy Maurer pray, and I think, man, I wish I could pray like that. I wish I was as spiritually sensitive to be led by the Lord like that. And, and I do want those things, but I'm not going to let myself, not let the enemy use that as a reason to disqualify myself. Though I might recognize that other people are more gifted than me, that doesn't mean that I don't have value in the kingdom. And the same thing is true for you. If you look around the room and you see other people that you think are better than you at things, don't let that disqualify you. Those are thoughts. Those are lies from the enemy. And this is the reason why we need to be determined not to be defined by what's in our past. We need the Holy Spirit to speak truth into our hearts to remind us of who we are in Christ. So what story have you been telling you about yourself? What story have you been telling yourself? Have you been telling yourself that you don't quite belong or that you're not quite good enough? Telling yourself that you're disqualified because your family or your sin or your whatever? I want to challenge you not to remind yourself of those things, but instead to remind yourself of the scriptures that tell us that you who once were far off, you have been brought near and we have been made one. In Ephesians, it says that there is one family, and there is one Lord, and there is one body, and there is one Savior. There's not different levels, some better than others. We are all one family. 
And you belong in this family as much as anyone else. We need that reminder. People of faith are not defined by their past. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. Um, and I just invite you to respond in your heart. Uh, if this is something you need, then receive this reminder this morning. Lord Jesus, we want to begin by thanking you so much for what you've done for us on the cross in our lives. You have saved us from ourselves. And you have saved us. And you have brought us into your story. And you have changed the direction of our lives. You have changed our stories. 